when we're using labels, there's no need for dialogue and sometimes mm. no place for dialogue. And that's so much easier, right? So it's easy if I can put a label on you because then I don't have to ask you tough questions. I don't have to reveal anything of myself. We don't have to be in any conversation. I can put a label on you and now I know who you are. That's all I need to know. You're listening to the Ascension Roundtable Podcast, Episode 55, Answers to Your Questions About Ministering to People with Same-Sex Attraction. In last week's episode with Father Philip Bochansky, we talked about the principles of ministering to those who experience same-sex attraction. In this week's episode, Father takes those principles and applies them to situations that you might find yourself in. How do you respond when someone shares their story with you? What kind of language should you use? How do you help someone recapture chaste friendship with someone else of the same sex? All these questions and more will be answered. Stay with us. Hello, and welcome to episode two with Father Philip Pachansky, who is the executive director of Courage International. If you have not listened to our first podcast with him, please go back and do so. We talked about uh, Father Philip, his ministry, what Courage is and does, and the, and the beautiful things that they are doing as an apostolate out there. Um, in this episode, we want to focus on how people who are working in the church and just volunteering in the church or just have friends and family out there, what are some concrete steps they can take? to reach out to those individuals and um, and help people who identify as LGBT um, or have same-sex attraction. So um, I'm back again with Father Philip. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be back. And also with Marisa. Welcome, Marisa. Great to be here, too. <laughs> um, so, Father, one of the things that I just want to kind of start off this episode and just kind of explain, as we were planning the episodes and, and what direction we were going to take, kind of some of the mindset that we had, um, a lot of us here at Ascension are really plugged into the Catholic blogosphere just in terms of just reading what's out there and um, you know, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or um, just general different blogs and news sites. And there's a lot of noise out there about different approaches to um, the LGBT community and, and church teaching. And um, what I've seen recently is just a lot of debate and argument and kind of almost vitriol um, about the theoretical um, when it comes to this. But it, kind of my thought is like, you know, it, it's really easy sometimes to think hide behind your computer or your phone or whatever and, and not actually... Um, get out into the trenches or um, engage in real relationships um, with people, with humans. And so um, I, I just wanted to take the opportunity here to talk about, you know, what advice can you give to to us um, when it comes to stepping outside of our comfort zone, maybe, and, um, and approaching human beings <laughs> um, who may be experiencing same-sex attraction or um, whether that's just, it, again, and personally or um, as as ministry professionals. So, Sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, we, we talked last time about, uh, you know, a, a significant part of my job right now is traveling to different dioceses and conferences and things like that to <clears throat> talk to priests and uh, other people in ministry, uh, deacons, parish coordinators, um, youth ministers, campus ministers, things like that, um, about why the church teaches the way that it does and how to present that in a compassionate way, how to anticipate what people are, are going through. 
the idea that I am somehow the the expert on this uh, is is so completely foreign to me. You know, number one, because I never went looking for this uh, this kind of work. Um, but but I think more so because it's not it's not some great you know huge mystery. Mm-hmm. You know, people who are living with same sex attractions are not you know, have not landed from another planet. They're not a different kind of person, right? They're just people, right? And so, uh, you know, if I have any kind of expertise, it's only because I've got had a lot of time and and the, really the privilege to do this work now full time for for starting my fourth year. Um, I have a lot of time to listen to to individuals tell their stories and, and, you know, and to learn from their stories, you know, what's going on in their hearts and minds, how, you know, we can see kind of common denominators among people, you know, that are are oftentimes kind of looking for essentially the same thing. Um, You know, the ability to kind of piece that together and draw some conclusions from it in terms of how to approach somebody and and anticipate what might be in their heart. So, um, so I'm, it's a huge privilege for me to, to be able to speak about the issue, but um, you know, I think just to invite people not to ever be afraid uh, to get to know any of their friends or parishioners or coworkers or acquaintances better. Um, we all benefit from getting to know another human being, appreciating the mystery of that, that person. So, yeah, as, as I mentioned last time, you know, I think uh, the, the best place to start is, is with a request, you know, tell me your story. Um, and this, this, uh, really, I think is a way to show a great deal of, of charity and, and respect for another person's dignity. Um, you know, the, the church says through this, <clears throat> through a letter from the, the CDF in 1986, um, the human person can hardly, can never adequately be reduced uh, to to uh, to a label, especially a, re- a reductionist label like like uh, homosexual or heterosexual. You know that that we're much more complex than that. We're mo- there's much more going on there, starting with the very profound and and beautiful mystery that we're created in the image and likeness of God. Uh, and so, you know, I think the response, if someone says to, to, to you, uh, look, I think, I think I'm gay or, you know, I identify as, as LGBT. Um, I think the first response of course is gratitude. Uh, thank you for trusting me with that important part of your life. I know it wasn't easy and it's never easy. I mean, even though it seems in the, in the, in the world today, it's just so everybody's, um, so cool with just kind of. Uh, saying saying these things and then coming out and and it's never easy for the individual no matter how much they they know and trust the person that they want to tell so you know it's to say to them well i'm grateful for the trust that you're placing in me and i want to make sure i never betray that trust and then to say well if you're telling me this uh i guess you want to know what i think and and what i think first of all is uh that this is an important part of your life obviously but i don't think it's the most important thing about you i think the most important thing about you is that you're created as a son or daughter of god in his image and likeness uh and that there's a whole lot going on in you that maybe more than you're even aware of um and so what i would really like from you is I want to know who you are. I want to know where you come from and where you're going, uh, you know, who loves you and who you love. I want to know what it's like to be you, uh, you know, in the, the story of your life. I want to know where your joys and your, your triumphs are, where your weaknesses and your fears are. Like, I just, I would just want to know as much about you as you're willing to share with me. Um, and anything you want to know about me, I'm willing to share as well. And, you know, maybe as we come to know each other better, as we, as, as you 
you're able to share your story, maybe we start to understand this experience of same-sex attraction uh, in the context of the bigger story of who you are. And then that'll help us to understand, uh, you know, what God wants and, and how God is leading you and, and what kind of choices he wants you to make. Um, but I think, yeah, we start with the real person and, and we never have to be afraid. Um, you know, it, it's an important part of compassion is patience. Uh, you know, the willingness to, to meet people where they are yeah. and not demand that they be where, where we, where we need them to be or, or at a place where we're comfortable before we can actually, uh, you know, hear their story and share their, their, their journey. Um, you know, it's, we're, we're all of us works in progress. And so, um, you know, we don't, um, none of us is, is ever going to be able to, you know, show our perfect self to anybody else. And so we can't expect one each other. Yeah, we can't, this is the whole point of Pope Francis's approach to accompaniment. He says, you don't, you don't say to somebody who comes to you, you know, well, here's what you have to do now, go away and do it. And when you've got it all together, we'll then come back. <laughs> right. We, we can't treat other people like that because it's certainly not how God treats us. You know, if we could figure anything out on our own, we wouldn't need him. Right. <laughs> and so, so he says to us, I come close and we'll work on this together. And I think that's the approach you have to take towards each other as well. Can you talk about there being a certain language to speak with people who struggle with same-sex attraction because some people don't want to be referred to as same-sex attracted. And so it can be difficult to even have a conversation with them because you don't know how to refer to that and how to talk. You know what I'm saying? How do you have that? Yeah, well, sure. I mean, this is this is a question um, that comes up a lot. I think more so now than ever. Um, uh, you know, even there, there are even cardinals and archbishops who you know have said in interviews, well, it's important to call people what they want to be called. And I, I am, I, I, I'm with that to a point, right? I think it's it's essential to treat one another with respect, uh, and to take a listening stance before we we tell somebody, you know, who they are, or what they're supposed to do. Um, but I think, you know, if someone says, well, I identify as gay, um, then the first, the response to that has to be dialogue, right? Um, because our language has meaning, um, both internally and externally. In other words, the label that I choose for myself has, I mean something by it and I know, I hopefully know what I mean, right? But I, I can never control what anybody else is going to hear by what I, from what I say, right? And, and I think we have to acknowledge that in our secular culture, at least, if not in the church culture as well, that when people hear the word gay, they make a lot of assumptions that go along with that. They assume that that means a person um, is embracing uh, same-sex attraction as their identity, that they are interested in same-sex relationships, uh, that they are supportive of same-sex marriage and 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 that they want the church's teaching to change, et cetera. Uh, I know from experience that that not everybody who's experiencing these attractions is embracing all that. And not everyone who says that they're, you know, who wants to use that term gay necessarily means all that. But I think it's just naive to say that that's not what most people assume when they hear the term, right? So if someone says, well, you have to call, I want you to call me gay because that's how I identify. Um, my my response to that would be a question. Well, what do you mean by that, right? And if what they mean is, well, I, I'm experiencing same-sex attractions, but I'm going to live chastely and, uh, uh, you know, I, I embrace what the church is teaching. And, you know, I, I know what that's all about. I'm going to strive to do that. Well, then my follow-up question is, well, then is... I understand what you're saying because we've had a chance to talk about it, but is 
is that label gay actually going to get that across to people? Um, or is it better to use a different term, right? If you're really, if, if as a disciple, you're trying not just to live a holy life, but give witness, like choosing to, to use that label is probably not the best way to witness to what you're choosing, how you're choosing to live. And then if somebody says, well, I'm using this term gay because I don't believe in what the church teaches and, uh, uh, you know, I, I am looking for a relationship or I'm in a relationship and, and I think that, you know, same-sex relations are, are part of how I'm called to live my life. Um, well, then I don't just say, oh, okay, and walk away. Like, we have to talk <laughs> about that. Like, you know, we have to talk about it. if you're Catholic and 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 uh, this is the approach that you're taking, like, we, shouldn't we talk about where the church's teaching is coming from? Shouldn't we talk about whether this is a good choice to make? You're not the choice is not to experience the attractions, but to 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 uh, uh, to be involved in intimate actions. Uh, but, you know, the, I think the point is that if once a, when we're using labels, there's no need for dialogue and sometimes mm. no place for dialogue. And that's so much easier, right? So it's easy if I can put a label on you because then I don't have to ask you tough questions. I don't have to reveal anything of myself. We don't have to be in any conversation. I can put a label on you and now I know who you are. That's all I need to know. It's even easier for me if you put a label on yourself because then I don't have to ask anything. I'll just, you know, take that. At, if I'm just taking that at face value, well, I don't have to get to know you. I don't have to ask where you're coming from, which, where you're heading. Don't We don't have to talk about difficult questions, right? Um, so, yeah, frankly, labels are the easy way out and dialogue is much more difficult. Um, but I think, you know, it, we I, I don't think it does anybody any good uh, to, to just take labels like gay or LGBT. LGBT at face value. I think that the, the, the response to that always should be dialogue uh, and um, and labels just get in the way of that. I I just I've never heard it um, explained like that. And it just makes so much sense. And it's so helpful to me because I've, you know, I, I have struggled with not wanting to refer to someone in a way that they really don't want to be referred to um, and feeling that tension. And so thank you so much for for giving that um that response, I think that's going to help a lot of our listeners. And I know personally, um, it will very much help me. I wanted to um, share with you a a young man that um, began sharing his story about his experience of same-sex um, attraction. And he grew up in an Orthodox Catholic home and Orthodox Catholic parish and uh, was very involved. And then um, more recently kind of came out and um, now is, is blogging about his his decision to kind of fully embrace um, the the gay lifestyle, um, and so, but he shares very um, in a very raw way about some of the pain that he experienced in in the Catholic community. And so, I just wanted to read a little bit about that and see kind of like how would you respond um, to this young man, and um, you know what what would you recommend uh, to those in, in his community? Sure. So he starts. <clears throat> Friends' weddings were the most bittersweet of occasions. I was in my early 20s, so there were plenty to attend, but I always knew that they would be followed by a depressive funk. Most of my friends were involved in church, so they had been marinating for years in the knowledge that this was a divine act, not just a decision, but a vocation. The priest would preach on the heroic and beautiful sacrifice the spouses were making. They would be open to kids. They would live for each other. They would be the very foundation of humanity. I sat through these weddings wondering why I was so unsuited for all of those things. What kind of person I must be to, to be incapable of such love. 
I watched all my friends fall in love and marry and move on. I wept as everyone I cared for celebrated this thing that they thought I was completely incapable of. My friends became younger and younger as I sought those who had space in their lives for me. Eventually, they moved on too. The soul can only take so much. I know the community I grew up with well enough to know that some reading this will be thinking I just didn't learn to truly let go and love God. To that, all I can say is try and recognize just how far from grace you've strayed in claiming to personally know how much another can carry and how heavy a cross God has given them. Yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, that's just, uh, there's so much of my heart that breaks for this experience, and I don't even know how to begin to respond to the pain. Yeah, and I mean, to be to be honest with you, I'd rather be having this conversation with him than right. with, with, you know, hundreds of people who don't know him any better, any more than I do kind of talking about his life, you know? So, so if he happens to, to stumble on your, your podcast, I just want to start by saying like, um, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll respond to it, but I, I realize how limited my response can be because I haven't met him and I don't know what this experience is like from his perspective, you know? Um, and, um, so I'm not trying to, you know, analyze somebody from a distance, you know? Um, what I can say is that, that I, you know, I, I've heard from, from more than a few people, uh, you know, about how painful weddings can be, um, about how, um, how difficult it can be to, to, to watch people embrace their vocation and, and embrace, uh, a life together and, and have to say, you know, this is not probably where my life is leading because, you know, the attractions that I'm feeling are not <clears throat> for a person of the opposite sex, not somebody who can be a wife and, and a mother. Um, it's not somebody who I can form a family with. So, um, you know, so what, where do I go? What is, what is there for me? You know? Um, and I think, you know, trying to respond to, to somebody, um, in that moment, uh, begins with taking that very, very seriously, you know? Um, yeah, of course, uh, you know, to, to be in that congregation at a wedding, uh, to be watching their friends, uh, you know, uh, enter into this, this relationship, this, this, uh, this covenant, of course, it's, it's going to draw out profound emotions, right? Because ultimately what we're, what we're looking at whenever we're at, at a wedding is, is what, we're made for, right? It's we're made to make a gift of ourselves. We're made to be in loving relationships. Uh, and so there's something at the heart of every human being uh, that's going to respond to that. And um, when you see something in, in, a, in another person, uh, you see somebody fulfilling that and you have questions about, can I fulfill this for my myself? Um, yeah, it's going to provoke not just pr- profound emotion, but a pretty profound pain. Um, I think maybe a, a step towards, you know, kind of finding some common ground on that would be, uh, to start with what he perceives and he writes about it very eloquently in what you just read. Um, you know, what he perceives as, as being part of that, that marriage commitment, you know, his friends are standing up there, uh, because they want to give themselves to each other completely because they want to form this, this, uh, this family together because they want to be parents together because they're open to the gift of life and et cetera. Um, and, you know, I, I think we just we have to acknowledge that that a same sex union 
is missing the, some of those important elements to it. So I, I think what I would want to do if I was talking to him is to say, let's start with what you see as good here and, and ask, you know, the really, really difficult, painful, but necessary question, like, will you ever find that uh, where you're looking for it? And, mm. uh, and I think we have to say, if we're being honest, that the answer is no. Having said that, I can say as a celibate priest that a life without sexual intimacy is no way a life without love, right? And and I, I hear the painful, uh, the pain in, in his his uh, his blog post where he says, you know, I, I can't think that that you know I am somehow incapable of all that. Well, nobody thinks that he's incapable of loving deeply. Um, the church is never suggesting that he's incapable of making commitments, of of being good for somebody else. Of 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 uh, giving his his life in service to other people, uh, even to one other person. Um, you know, all the church is saying is that the context for that is a profound and intimate friendship, not a sexual relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And so the you know the challenge there is to say, you know, can I can I sacrifice um, you know sexual desire and sexual intimacy for the sake of an intimate friendship, right? And it's got to be authentic. You know, it's it's got to you know. It, Sometimes people, one one young friend of mine, you know, said, "Well, he's he's looking for the chaste gay boyfriend, right?" And I think this is a phenomenon we have with the JP two generation, is they know the theology of the body and they're really on fire for the faith, and they they but they have this desire for romantic, exclusive, intense connection, and like, well, I just want to find somebody who's equally well formed and equally on fire, and we can have an intense, you know, exclusive, you know, permanent relationship, but we're not going to do anything. Right. Like there's there can't be a false dichotomy between internal chastity and external chastity. Right. Um, Mm. Because Eros, the kind of love that's underlying romance and passion and sexual intimacy, Eros wants to belong totally to the other and to possess the other totally. Right. Eros Mm -hmm. wants to possess and be possessed by the beloved. And as long as we're human beings, then we're body and soul unity. And so Eros is always tending towards bodily union. Eros always wants uh, sex. Um, And in marriage, that's awesome. Right. But, but, you know, for people to pursue Eros, to pursue romance, uh, thinking that they, they, they want a a chaste relationship is not, they're working at cross purposes. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. so, ultimately, I guess, I, I think, I feel like I've gone on off, off on a bit of a tangent there, but uh, ultimately, I think, you know, response to, to that young man uh, is to really talk about what he can see and appreciate in in uh, the marriage of his friends, um, what he would want for himself, um, and to, to be honest and, and say, can you really find that in a same-sex relationship? Um, and if not then, you know, is it better, you know, to, uh, to not pursue a sexual relationship for the sake of pursuing friendship, um, you know, and and to find your fulfillment there. So what advice do you give somebody who's in that position that says, I want to find the, the, the gay chaste boyfriend who's on fire for Christ and is well formed? How do you, how do you explain what you just explained and then tell them, what advice do you give them? Well, I, I think first of all, they need to be honest with themselves about what they're looking for. 
right? Um, and, you know, and, and then accountable, right? First to God in prayer, to a spiritual director, hopefully, to good friends, you know, so that, so because it's easy to get into a relationship and let your heart run away from you uh, and then pretend like you didn't see that you blew past the boundaries, you know? Um, and so, and to end up in a situation where you're, you know, fooling around with somebody, you're in bed with somebody and, and uh, I think, well, how did I get here? Well, you got there because you weren't being serious with what you were actually looking for. You were looking for romance and not for friendship, you know? And so, um, you know, to be talking to people who they trust, who are going to tell them, you know, the, tell them the truth and not just say, oh, this is great that you have somebody in your life, but what, what are you looking for? Like, what are you going after here? Um, and then, you know, I think we need just in the church in general, we need a much deeper catechesis on what friendship is and why it's important and how it's not second best love. Um, you know, and, and what the limits of friendship are, what the challenges are in a, in a society like ours that's so fragmented and isolated. But, um, you know, to, to really kind of focus on well, what makes friendship different um, and, and what are the obstacles, you know, to, to choosing that. I think I, this is not specific maybe to, to people with uh, who experience same-sex attraction. I think it's part of our modern age, you know. But when people get hurt in relationships, um, they want guarantees before they try again sometimes, you know. And so sometimes the, the feeling can be, well, Look, I, if I'm going to put my heart out there, if I'm going to really be honest and vulnerable and transparent with somebody and 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 get into this kind of friendship, like I want to guarantee that that person is always going to understand and never is going to go away. And, you know, that I'll never have to worry about losing this or being hurt. And that just doesn't happen in this world, right? Because we're all wounded and the world is broken, et cetera. Um, and the only person that we really can depend on in that, that completely trustworthy way is God. Um, but you know, we still go out there looking for guarantees and, you know, sexual union feels like a pretty powerful guarantee that this person is never going anywhere because we've just been as close as we can possibly be. Um, you know, and so it's, it, you know, I think to, to help people, whatever their, their attractions may be to help people to be chased and to help them to form good friendships. We do have to speak honestly about where they might've been hurt before, whether, you know, whether they're able to trust fully, whether they're able to give themselves fully, you know, if they're looking for guarantees, like help them to, to grow in trust, help them to grow in, in hope. And, um, you know, and then they won't need to, uh, kind of give into the modern, you know, thing, which says every strong feeling is a sexual feeling and the best way to, you know, solidify your relationship is to jump into bed. Like we have to, we have to recapture friendship. I think is the bottom line. Gotcha. Yeah. You're not at all saying that two people of the same sex can't have an intimate relationship. That's not sexual. You're saying that is very possible. I'm counting on that. Yeah. Right? Like that's, <laughs> that's the fourth goal of our apostle is to build chaste friendships. Um, you know, and I think that's, that's got to be, I mean, that's, that's true for people who have who experienced same sex attraction. That's true for married people. That's true mm. for single people, true for priests and consecrated people. Um, yeah, it's it, the U.S. bishops have a very beautiful uh, uh, document from 2006 called Ministry to Persons with a Homosexual Attraction. And in there they speak like at length about friendship, like almost like, you know, too much. And they're like, friendship is absolutely essential uh, for for living a chaste life. Friendship is absolutely essential for having a happy life. It's it's almost impossible to live a happy life without uh, strong friendships and, and not having strong friendships actually makes it more difficult, right? Like over and over. 
over. It's like, I get it. Like, I know, <laughs> I see your point. Right. Um, but it's, 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 um, it's a, uh, you know, it, it's, it's part of life that we, we, we don't give much attention to and we really don't know how to do it well anymore. And, um, yeah, so, so people, um, Two people can have a very uh, intimate friendship that doesn't have to be a sexual relationship. So remember, Jesus is sitting at the Last Supper table, about to be handed over by his friends, about by his disciples, about to be, you know, tortured and put to death. Right? He's got a lot on his mind. Right? What is it that he says to his apostles in that moment? I call you my friends. Right? And he says, I call you my friends because I've told you everything I've heard from my father. And you are my friends if you keep my commandments. In other words, our friendship is based on the fact I will never lie to you. I want to tell you who you are and what kind of relationship my father wants with you. And if you want to be my friend, all you have to do is respond to that and try and embrace it and live it out. And, you know, our friendship with Jesus is our is our indispensable foundation for any authentic friendships. That is awesome. Where, I guess if, so somebody's listening and, and they're like, yes, you know, I need to to bring that um, to my youth group or to my, um, you know, wh- whatever community group that they are in or their parish, what are some resources that they can look to, to find, you know, sources for teaching about Christian friendship? Um, there aren't a lot <laughs> that I can find. I mean, um, you know, again, it's, it's something that we're, that we're still striving to, um, you know, to understand more deeply, just, I think because previous generations just kind of took it for granted, you know, um, C.S. Lewis has a, has a beautiful book, uh, called the four loves, uh, where he distinguishes, uh, affection, uh, from friendship, from eros, from, from divine love, charity, um, I'll, I'll recommend that with a caveat that when he talks about homosexuality, he uses language that was perfectly acceptable in some circles in the 1950s, but we would find very unacceptable today just in terms of some slurs that he uses. Um, but by and large, I think he's got good insights there. Um, he's got a, a book that he wrote when his uh, – uh, when his wife passed away called a grief observed, um, where he talks about, you know, uh, I hesitate to recommend CS Lewis because then people realize how much I steal from him. Um, but, uh, but that, that's where that idea of, of like the more, um, uh, the more people in a, in a circle of friends, the more we learn from each other. And when one person from that circle passes away or leaves, then everybody's kind of the poorer for it. Um, yeah, I don't. You you guys work for Ascension Press. You you you're the ones putting out all the good resources. So uh, uh, yeah, I don't have those kind of at my fingertips. But uh, maybe you can uh, add some towards the end of the podcast and and give people some some other places to go. Sure. Yeah, I can do a little research, and Christina and I can add some links if we find some good things out there. So excellent. Maybe somebody needs to make one. Hey, like I don't know. Press, for example, who, who would do such a thing? <laughs> well, that's um, that's great. I guess as we end, just one final question. I know we've gone over our time over again, but um, what would you say to someone who really feels called to ministry um, to those with uh, same-sex attraction? And yeah, what kind of Re- and you've touched on a lot of, of this throughout. So obviously, um, you know, it, we're not starting from scratch here. Mm-hmm. But what would you say is like kind of step one and, and what are the big pitfalls to avoid? 
Well, so I would say, first of all, that anybody who's involved in any kind of ministry is going to be ministering to people who experience same-sex attraction, or at least to people who who love them, right? Um, And so, yeah, I think it's something that everybody in the church has to become aware of um, in terms of what the church teaches and why, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, what people are, what, how people are actually experiencing this and, and, you know, things like that. So we've got a couple of resources um, that we've produced over the years. One is a, a documentary film called Desire of the Everlasting Hills, um, which is uh, so three good. three people mm-hmm. just telling their stories. Um, it's not preachy. It's not, uh, I don't even know that it, it doesn't mention courage and, and um, you know, it only mentions Catholicism as far as, you know, them going back to the church uh, at a certain point. Um, so it's really, it's, it's accessible to people no matter, I think, where they are in understanding or experiencing this, this, this situation, because, um, it's just three people telling their stories, you know, um, mm-hmm. we've also got a, a, a video series called invited to courageous love, um, where we, um, we employ the, the help of, a, a number of, uh, philosophers and theologians of, of, uh, medical uh, professionals and and uh, emotional behavioral health professionals of uh, priests and bishops and people in pastoral care um, to just kind of look at all different sides of of this question from the, why the church teaches the way that it does what people are are experiencing how it affects the family how it affects the parish how how the parish and and those in ministry can respond um, but the beautiful thing about it is that the first of, f- of the five episodes is just uh, seven or eight courage members telling their stories. And then throughout the other four episodes, um, uh, whenever there's a, a point to be made by someone from a professional point of view, it's almost immediately always backed up by someone's personal testimony. Right. So so those videos, they're 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 made for uh, parish uh, faith formation situations, RCIA uh, you know, adult faith formation, campus ministry, things like that. Um, and those resources are available. So I think just to, you know, I think those are, uh, those are good ways for people to, to hear the experience of people who are living with this, uh, in their own lives and, and have embraced where the church is coming from on this. And, uh, and then just to, you know, with that in mind and feeling hopefully better equipped about the terminology, about the perspective of the church, just to enter into good conversations and to be friends and, and to listen and to, to learn from people's experience and, and then not to be afraid to, to ask good follow-up questions and to share uh, the perspective of faith and, and you know, to um, really this is where the, 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 the art of accompaniment comes in with a great deal of patience to just walk with people as they try to understand the church more deeply and, and embrace God's plan for them more fully. One of our um, followers on, on Facebook asked, uh, they brought up the fact that they have a friend who's interested in courage, but the closest chapter is four hours away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know you mentioned that you're growing rapidly. So, you know, one on the one hand, hopefully that won't be the case forever. But in the meantime, one, I guess one question is, how does somebody open a chapter? Um, uh-huh. And then secondly, if, if there's no chapter that's within reasonable driving distance, what you know, what do you recommend? 
Sure. Well, let's take the second one first because it's a little less complicated. And that's to say <laughs> that you know our website, uh, which is courageRC.org, um, has uh, a number of links to online resources. So we have um, – this will show you how long it's been since we've updated our website. We're, we're launching the new one this week. Um, but the, we presently have Yahoo groups um, for you know different parts of, of the Courage community to communicate online. Uh, there's also groups on, on Facebook uh, – um, uh, and then we have uh, phone meetings mm-hmm. uh, and and Facebook chat meetings uh, as well. Um, and if the person is uh, is a woman, we actually are some of our courage women because we just tend to have fewer women members than men, which is a factor of just demographics in general. Um, we actually have uh, some online uh, face-to-face meetings. I forget if they're using Skype or Zoom, but something like that mm-hmm. uh, weekly. So, so if uh, if it's a young woman that's writing to you, uh, you know, she might be interested in in uh, connecting with our office to get connected with that group. Um, and you know, I'll, I'm always happy to chat with people and and try to find you know if I know that there's a priest in their area who understands uh, you know where we're coming from and and could meet with them one on one for a while. Happy to make that connection. So, all of our contact information. Information is available on the website. Um, and then as far as getting a chapter set up, you know, we always work at the invitation and with the cooperation and permission of the diocesan bishop. We're, uh, we are a public association of the faithful in the Diocese of Bridgeport, although we're in 15 countries now. Um, so we're always, you know, we always want to make it clear that we're, it's, this is not my initiative. This is not Father Bochansky's little group here, you know, that this is an an apostle of the church. So, um, so we, uh, we wait for the invitation of the diocesan bishop, uh, but getting through to him is, can happen in many ways. You know, sometimes as a priest who, you know, comes to one of our conferences and wants to get involved and he goes and brings it up and says, you know, not only do I think we should do this, I'd be willing to be the chaplain. Uh, other times the bishop himself calls us in and, and ask us for help. Uh, sometimes it's it's people who could be potential courage or encourage members uh, who reach out to their family life office or just an email to the bishop himself uh, to say, look, I want you to know that this is something that I would benefit from, and I'm sure I'm not the only person. You know, mm-hmm. it's. Um, you know, I think bishops have so much to do and so many parts of the flock to attend to um, that if people aren't speaking up, then they kind of figure, all right, I guess they're okay for now. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> um, you know, so I wouldn't interpret the fact that there's not a courage group nearby as a lack of support as much as just, you know, maybe he doesn't know that it's needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if, if this person, you know, uh, has, you know, can, can reach out uh, either to a priest that they trust or directly to the diocese through the family life office or uh or the bishop himself and say i just want to let you know this is something that you know would really mean a lot to me and i can't be the only person uh then that can often get the ball rolling and then they just get in touch with my office and uh, i work with the new chaplain to, to train them and and get things set up and you know get the word out and we take it from there that's awesome well, we will definitely, um, in the show notes again, link to all of those resources and um, provide that information so that people can, who are listening can, can take some of those steps if they feel inclined. Thanks. So thank you so much, Father. Yeah, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, my pleasure. And the website, again, if you're interested to uh, take a look in those, both of those uh, resources you mentioned, uh, Desire of the Everlasting Hills, as well as uh, Invited to Courageous Love, are both on the website, correct? 
That's correct. And and Everlasting Hills actually has its own website, uh, everlastinghills.org. And I think we are up to 12 languages that it's subtitled in. So, uh, yeah, so don't hesitate to um, to share with whoever you think would benefit from that. There, we've just added Korean, Vietnamese, and Russian subtitles. Wow. So, we're yeah, we're very excited about the reach of, of that film. Um, but, yeah, everlastinghills.org, uh, couragerc.org. All right. So there you go, guys. Thank you again. Thank you, Marisa. Always a pleasure. It's been awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Father. It's been great. Thank you. It's been great to be with you. All right, guys. Hang tight. We'll see you next week. We love you. And God bless. Peace. <laughs>